Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hello and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real family friendly and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. I'm your host, Mitch, uh, joined, as always, by my co-host, Ando. Ando, how Hello. are you? I'm great, mate. Better to be here with you. I'm back this week after having a week off last week. Now, we do need to start things by saying a massive apology to everyone out there. We know last week's audio wasn't as ideal as we would have liked, and it didn't meet the standards that we do come to expect from our podcast. So, for those that did get through it, thank you for persevering. We did try and re-edit it midweek, and there was, I believe, some technical issues with Apple Podcasts. Um, maybe if you go and listen on Spotify or online, I think it the audio is a little bit clearer. Um, but yeah, we do apologize. It was a hard listen to get through, and if you did get through it, thank you for persevering. Well, mate, that was well said. Everybody, you can basically find us on all of our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the like. Um, in addition, we just want to do a big shout out for the absolute legends who have been throwing a bit of money our way at coffee.com slash pick and drive rugby. Any amount that you can spare helps us out. 10 or 20 bucks means that we can keep this thing live all over the interwebs and look at more opportunities for spreading the rugby gospel uh, over the coming weeks to wider ever amounts of people. So thank you. Uh, also, we've got the tipping comp going on. And uh, Mitch, why don't you take us through who's got the yellow cap this week and who's yeah, leading so- around? This week, uh, Scopey Brumbies fan takes out the yellow cap in first place, getting uh, three points from the round, getting both games correct and one bonus point, followed closely by Elte in second place on two points with two points, uh, no bonus point. And then Mitch, also known as Rev, not me, but um, the old Rev Rev is in uh, third place uh, also on two points. So he got both. Games correct. Well done to Rev. And if we look at the overall table, we've got Swano in first place on 7.33 points, followed closely by Scopey Brumby's fan again, who took out the yellow cap this week. He's on seven points. He's gone up five places, so well done. And then we've got EV in third place on 6.33 points. So, Ando, where are you on the on the overall ladder? You wanna, Haven't checked. I don't want to know. Haven't checked? Okay. Haven't, well, I'm in 11. And so that's a lot higher than <laughs> well I think done. I've ever been. So I will take that. I'm genuinely like impressed with that. Well done. <laughs> I know. I know, right? Oh, what great. are we doing tonight, anyway, Andy? Mate, we've got some really fun stuff that's going on. So um, basically three things. We've got an interview, the rugby championships, and the locker room. Okay, so what's the interview, you might ask? Great question, Mitch. 
So basically, I sit down and have a chat with Annika Jemison. So Annika works for, um, well, basically has a long history within women's rugby. And she was fairly notorious last week for a post that she put up regarding the disappointment that she felt with the news that Rugby Australia was looking to flash out cash for league players such as Joseph Suali'i um, at the what is realistically the expense of women's rugby, which is still underfunded amateur rugby players going into a World Cup in a couple of months' time uh, up against fully professional teams. Okay. So we, we spoke about that. We spoke about her background in women's rugby, why that um, news, even if the $10 million figure was completely false, which it is, um, why that was so significant for her as part of the narrative around RA and women's rugby, and then what she would do if she had the opportunity within the hot seat to um, make positive and constructive change both for rugby and women's rugby within Australia. So it's a really, really enjoyable chat. Great time. She's got a lot of background. Um, Co-founder of the Sports Collective, working with grassroots sporting organisations throughout um, Newcastle, Sydney, Melbourne to help them get more funding and corporate involved. Like it's, she knows her stuff. She knows what she's talking about. She's got a skin in the game. Um, and yeah, a really, really good listen. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to that. Fantastic. Well, I, I wasn't uh, in that chat, so I'm very much looking forward to listening through that. Uh, and the rest of the podcast. So why don't we uh, get into it and stop right. everyone waiting? <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Hey, everybody, it's Ando here. And with me is Annika Jemison from the Sports Collective. How are you, Annika? I'm good. Thanks, Ando. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Now, um, if you don't know who Annika is, then I'm sorry, you really need to. She put a really great post up on LinkedIn and Twitter the other day talking about some of the challenges that were coming around women's rugby and the um, understandable response that a lot of people had to the news about Joseph Suwali'i's $10 million offer from Rugby Australia, which has been quashed, but it was still the story that was going around the news. So Annika, before we get into that side of things, um, can you give us a bit of a who are you and what's your background in women's rugby that made you want to put this uh, post out there? Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been playing rugby since I was about 18 um, and just fell in love with it. I played every other sport growing up, but what, once you've played rugby and you understand rugby and um, you're kind of in with the community, it's like nothing else compares. So once I started, I dropped every other sport and then started to, um, I guess, play a bit of grassroots in Newcastle. I lived in Greece and from Newcastle originally. Um, then played a bit of rep, played country rugby, which for the country kids out there is about the best thing that you can ever do. It's just some really great grit footy you meet usually on the day of the carnival. And anyway, um, and I ended up moving to Melbourne in about 2019. And um, I was always told that if you move states, you should always go and find your local rugby club because you'll always have an extended family. And I did that. And then through the trains, um, met a couple of people and ended up playing a season with the Rebels. Cool. Um, and just through Newcastle and knowing lots of people in Newey and Sydney and then in, in Melbourne and meeting girls along the way um, and then playing it at Super W. Yeah, I feel quite close, I guess, to the women's uh, rugby community. And I guess now I sit on a board for Hunter Rugby in Newcastle and I'm on the Hawthorne Committee, which is essentially the old boys group and network where long lunches are a must. That's a lot of fun. Um, and I run two Instagram channels uh, called Rebel Like Her and Her Super W. And those are focusing on women's involvement in rugby, I'm assuming, from the titles? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Rebel Echo, we started in 2019 when we wanted to um, be able to tell the stories of the, the women playing for the Rebels. And then after a year, um, we started Her Super W because we just we thought there was a bit of a platform for the Super W for all of the athletes competing and wanted to be able to create some hype and awareness because it just sort of, people just didn't know it was on and happening and um, it mattered. So that's yeah. where that came from. It definitely does. And I think the idea that women's rugby really matters within a framework of Australian rugby is really important and a key element of why we wanted to bring you on. So for those of you who haven't had a chance to go to Annika's Twitter and check out the LinkedIn post that we're talking about, please just pause the pod and go do that because it's really um, evocative. It's really heartfelt and really speaks to some of the challenges from somebody who's been at the coalface of women's rugby for a while. So can you talk us through your response to that Suali'i report and why it was so significant for you within that within that moment yeah it's a tricky one because I'm I obviously I understand that um all the reports are probably quite inflated and things but it wasn't about that I mean the girls have just come off the back of two test matches right like and the first one they got quite heavily thrashed um and I had a lunch in the other day that I was running an auction for and I had to do some prep around introducing world cup and and um who was playing and where and you know, England's captain is walking into the test match, into test matches off 23 undefeated games, right? England is just flying after the back of six nations. They're about to compete in World Cup and their captain has 143 test caps, 143. And she's not even the only one. It's just one of the stalwarts of the game, right? And if you look at the amount of test caps that the Black Ferns have got, like the average is somewhere between 20 and 30 with a lot of their senior players on 60 caps. I remember reaching out and um, asking Gracie and, and M Chance, Gracie Hamilton and M Chance previously, how many caps they had going into um, a certain match because I was writing some media around it and I couldn't find any information anywhere. And I think from memory, they were going on for their 10th and 18th caps and they're some of the most senior yep. players in the Wallaroos. Yep. Um, so anyway, just understanding that the girls haven't really had an opportunity. Super W in 2021 was really cut short, like the funding and I guess the investment just hadn't been there for the women's game to then hear that, you know, Rugby Australia, once again, is is going to prioritise the men's game or at least there's talk around the men's game without there being talk around the women's before a World Cup. It was just, I think, heartbreaking would be the word. <laughs> One of the really interesting um, questions within this is kind of the role of RA in promoting women's rugby and the way that they need to be communicating around that. Uh, so there's a really good quote I wanted to take from your article because I think it speaks to some of the challenges or some of the things RA could be improving in the way they communicate about the women's game. So I quote, a study of leadership, organizational culture and high performing teams tells us that every time leaders make choices, they reaffirm a cultural norm or a value held by the organization. Unfortunately, devastatingly, the cultural norm Rugby Australia continues to reaffirm is that from their perspective, women are less than men. Now, from my perspective, I would be assuming you're not saying that Rugby Australia actually believes that. However, their actions reaffirm that view. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Like I've met quite a few people from Rugby Australia and there are some wonderful, fantastic, wholehearted people within that organisation. But from the outside, and I guess from a lot of the viewpoint of, of people in and around grassroots, all you hear about consistently is the number one performing team, the Wallabies. And in terms of the opportunity for women and the comms around women and the plan or the plan around grassroots and growing the game, like it's it's just um, lacking. I don't know if that's the word. I think there's so much room for improvement there. And I, I think that RA has a wonderful opportunity and it makes me a little 
I guess, upset that it feels like we're missing the boat. And that's um, part of the challenge as well. Looking at the World Cup, which is obviously happening in New Zealand later in the year for the women, um, we are sending in a completely amateur team into a competition against fully many fully professional setups. And as much as nobody is going to doubt the willingness or the bravery or the hard work that the Wallaroos, the entire squad are going to be putting in, nobody doubts that. It's not going to be pretty in my mind. The results are not going to be pretty. Um, so what do you say to that reality of the amateur versus professional level within Australia versus the rest of the world? Oh, it's hard. It's heartbreaking, especially, I mean, we're, we're a competitive nation in Australia and we just love good footy, right? So we all want to see the girls do well, but it's a double-edged sword. They're not potentially going to perform as well as they could had they've been professional for the two or three years that England's been professional or, or at least had the opportunity to play um, a Super W equivalent over multiple weeks in investment like New Zealand has done. So I feel horrible for them because I know they're juggling all of these things. They're walking in underdone, essentially, like they haven't had nearly the amount of training that they could have had. And if they don't compete and if they don't hold up, well, one, they're going to feel ashamed of themselves. But two, as a nation, we're going to go, well, it's not worth the investment because they're not winning, which is just like, it's mind boggling and just devastating for me. And that's almost part of the narrative, isn't it? Is that you'll get um, your kind of passerby who will see the results and go, oh, well, we suck. There's no point putting money into that, where they don't know the full picture of the lack of investment over the long term. Mm, Yes, very much so. And I mean, I've read lots of the comments and I guess feedback on on the post that I put up and 80% of it surprisingly for me has been so supportive. And I think about 5% of it has understood that the issue isn't necessarily a pay issue, but a, a lens through which we make decisions. And so coming to the core of, of it, it's a, it is a gender thing for me and my business partner, bless him. Um, he said, it's not a gender thing. It's a human thing. And it's just the right thing to do. Um, but I mean, making that argument's a bit bit harder, but I guess the outcome then is if we don't value the contribution of women from top to bottom, the easiest thing to pinpoint is the pay. Yeah. Like it's just the most clearly articulated and easy thing to recognize. But within the rest of the game, there's multiple instances where we're just not, I guess, valuing the contribution as much as we could of the women. Interestingly, Mark McCartney, who's involved with the Rugby Australia uh, comms, put a tweet out in, he didn't, I don't think he tagged you directly in it, but it was in response really to your post uh, on Twitter. And he he had a, it was actually quite valuable, I thought. I thought it was an interesting response that helped provide some context for maybe people who didn't understand some of the context. Um, he did emphasise the fact that over the last couple of years, Rugby Australia has I think it was 2021 they lost 20 million in that financial year or that that year um, and that if the Wallabies hadn't been playing then it was a black hole that rugby may not have actually been able to return from um, he does emphasize that there is a need to professionalize and develop the women's game that they will be communicating more about what that path of professionalism looks like quote in the weeks leading up to the World Cup but it's not going to happen overnight so That was, I thought, interesting and valuable as well. I just wish, and I don't, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I wish that it hadn't been somebody on their unofficial Twitter account saying it and had actually been Rugby Australia putting that type of communication forward. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there was a couple of things. I mean, one is the response that we got versus the response that we were hoping for. And I use this we because 
um, in women's rugby, it's very much a we're all in this together kind of mentality. And I have received hundreds of messages over the last week with all personal experiences and stories and people sharing the fact that it's this sort of stuff, the um, sexism, the sojourney, the, the really not fun parts of rugby, it's happened across the board to so many people and not just me. So I use that we in that regard. But um, to address the first point at the start, when, they've, when the point was made that they've lost $20 million um, in COVID, I sort of sit there and I think we've all learned that you need to run sport like a business, essentially. And if the business and, well, I guess if society changes, sometimes the business model needs to change. And when drastic things like COVID happen, you need to pivot the business. And if they haven't over time necessarily made good business investments, if we've spent money on, I don't know, for example, $2.1 million on Easy Flower in the past, like, not to say that he was a bad player, he's a fantastic player, but I just mean if we found this sort of money previously that we've then injected into the men's game and not put across, um, I guess, diversifying our product base, which is mm -hmm. what the women and the grassroots would be, well, then, of course, we've got this issue where as soon as the top team can't play, then you lose money, right? I get that. But then you look at every other code. If you look at AFL, and I know they don't play international, but AFL, NRL, the women's products that have come along, they made the investment in any... My, my background before working now in grassroots sport was in tech and I was um, working with a, a tech startup, scaling up a business. You've got to go through a few stages to scale up a business. You have the proof of concept, great. You, try, you create an MVP and you put it out there, great. Next, you've got to actually build the business and then sell the product. And once you go to selling, you've got to market it. Like people have to know about it before they'll buy it. So we haven't told people, we haven't marketed the women's products. So of course, no one's yet buying it. Um, Anyway, so I just think we've we've got an opportunity with the business model to diversify and grow the mm. game. We haven't really done that. So pointing at COVID is the reason that the business model is failing, I think is poor. I think there are some business decisions that we could be making over a long period of time that could be better and help grow the game. Yep. Um, and then in response to this, what was the second part of your question? The, uh, the second part was just some of the respond? comments. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, well, to that, I think what we got was a... There is a plan. We just haven't told you about it. You need to be patient. Um, and what we were hoping for potentially was more, I think the word is leadership. I think that is the word that we really, that is important. And for me, keeps coming up. So imagine instead of getting the message around, you know, anyone believing the 20 mil is laughable, et cetera. Imagine we got this message back from RA and not a personal account. Um, this has been an incredibly challenging time through rugby. To hear that women within our game are having these experiences is not something that we would ever condone. We really wanna create a safe and inclusive environment for everybody. There is absolutely a plan around the women's game. The women's game is very important to us as is grassroots and indigenous programs and this organization values inclusivity. And here is how we are going to deliver the next stages if we haven't done as well as we could in the past, then we're, you know, we acknowledge that and there's still heaps of work to do, but it matters to us. And this is why we're going to make these changes. But I guess that's not the way it's communicated. It's, you know, you've got to be patient and you shouldn't really be. The one of the lines in there got me saying to actively weaken the most relevant and popular team within Australia. And that's absolutely not the intention. I think the men that play for the Wallabies are incredible but I also then question like 
why is that the priority of Rugby Australia? We're going into a World Cup and we're still referring mm-hmm. to the men's team as the most relevant. Like just for me, I guess the language shows the lens that they're still communicating through, which could be changed. Yeah, and I think that, um, I mean, there's so, so much to unpack in what you were saying there. I think that was really, really powerful. And I think that in... I'm not trying in no way, shape or form am I trying to defend or attack or anything like that. I'm just speaking through what some of the perspectives or views may well be. And I think maybe there is an element to which we don't know the dire circumstances of the financials of RA um, as a result of the challenges of last year, maybe, but that still doesn't change the way that things could be communicated and the intent that is behind that communication, like you just explained. So let's do a hypothetical here. Okay, so the hypothetical is you are in the hot seat at RA. You have the opportunity to make change to um, maybe alter maybe some structures, some imperatives, some ways in which you're going to be communicating around the game of rugby within Australia, the broad game of rugby. Now, you spoke to some of that very powerfully just then. What change would you bring in if you had that opportunity? Um, Yeah, great question. And there's probably... There's no one easy answer, but I think there's a couple of things. Um, I would want to build trust back in the organization because at this point, a little bit regardless of what RA says, there's just no trust. So if they come out with a plan of attack because they haven't necessarily done the things they've said they're going to do before, a lot of the community doesn't really believe what's happening. So I would embark on a a trust um, creative exercise. And I think that starts with, getting really clear about as an organization, what they stand for, and then building some strategies out around living out those values. So, I mean, one of them that I would love to see is inclusivity and um, this determination to build good leaders and good people in the community. And I think if RA took this leadership stance and was communicating differently, taught the clubs to communicate differently, worked with the franchises to communicate powerfully, Um, we actually would just, they have such an opportunity to change the culture and the framework all around Australia. But currently it it feels more like RA is looking internally at RA and the franchises are looking internally at the franchises Mm. and the grassroots is sort of like, they're trying to lead up and they're struggling. So I just, I imagine this, I imagine this Australian rugby scene where everybody works together. RA is very firm on the values and then lives those out through strategies and comms. And the language reflects that. So if if the current, like if the knowledge isn't there currently, then let's get curious. Like I think we're, we're too concerned currently about admitting that we've done anything wrong. So we sweep it all under the rug and all that does is create more mistrust. I think we need to look for the opportunities to rebuild trust. And that comes from open communication, transparency and clear value alignment. Yeah, look, that was awesome. So you're speaking around the value of communication, trust, and the strategy in the way that RA are living that out on a regular basis. Um, look, we will need to leave it there because there's so much to be talking about in the world of rugby from this week. But Annika, thank you so much for your time. If people want to hear more from you, where would they find you? Uh, on LinkedIn under my own name, on Twitter at Annika underscore Jamison, or um, on Instagram, you can find us at HerCW, Rebel Like Her, or on my own personal page. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and have a wonderful week. Thanks, Ando. Nice to chat. Cheers. Bye. All 
All right, we move now to the action from the weekend and it was an incredibly disappointing result on Saturday night as Australia went down 8-24 to at the newly refurbished, rebuilt, reopened Allianz Stadium. Awesome stadium, rubbish match. Mitch, what were your instant reactions after the game? <laughs> uh, straight away, a little bit disappointment, obviously, as a Wallabies fan. I, I don't think I was as disappointed come final whistle as I am now. And uh, I think some of that comes from our unique ability, uh, I guess we've been allowed to go to the press conferences and actually speak to some of the Wallabies players post-match. So um, outreach or whatever, access, access is the word I'm looking for. Access, that's um, the word, yep. <laughs> listening to the players talk in the post-match presser, James Slipper, Dave Rennie, um, we then spoke with uh, Scott Seo and... Reese Hodge after the game and just the way they were answering questions and the way they looked like you could really feel the dejection from the players seeping out into that media room. And it wasn't particularly like a spicy media conference by any means. Like there wasn't any too many hard balls being asked and too many questions that were really sort of digging into the, the why around why they didn't win, but you could just sort of get this sense that they weren't happy with their performance and they were really hurting from it. And I think as a Wallabies fan sitting there and hearing that, that's made me feel a little bit more disappointed from the the way they were talking about how they wanted to play and the prep that they had done and that they had come out and not done that. Going back and watching the game, I think I feel a little bit worse having that sort of access. Yeah, it was, for me, um, really, really challenging because I was absolutely loving the experience of being at the stadium and um, everything that, we we got from that experience but the game itself we barely fired a fired a shot throughout the match and south africa were just dominant in so many facets of the play and re- there were a couple of things that um went against us in terms of injuries a couple of key moments that really didn't help us but the response from the wallabies wasn't what i was hoping it would have been after such a good match last week and so it was that frustration of consistency and dear God, I'm hating that word right now. <laughs> I'm hating the fact that it's something that we cannot attain. It's just that that thing that's out of our reach that we so desperately want is consistency. Everybody wants it. No one knows how to get it. What is consistency and why can't we actually achieve it? It's such a, a strange thing to have all of these C words associated with the game of rugby. 2021, 2020 was the year of the cohesion theory. Um, we've had... Uh, uh, Gainline Analytics on the pod in the COVID past, well. and they've, they've said their piece on that. And um, Matt, Matt from last week, uh, also is a very big uh, component of that theory of cohesion. Last year, we we're all talking about that. This year, everyone, players, coaches, commentators, media, are all talking about cohesion and I mean uh, consistency and why from one week a team can get up and the next week they can't and. Uh, everyone's searching for it, as you said, Ando. No one's really able to, at the moment, show that consistency week in, week out. And uh, look, is it a rugby championship thing? Is it a world rugby thing? It, it's just, it's an unusual thing all all around at the moment. Yeah, I think. Um, look, I think that part of what Dave Rennie was speaking to in a post match presser was the um, tightness of world rugby at the moment where any of the top eight teams can win against the other top eight teams. And so there's something we need to be considering there. It's like South Africa are the world champions. 
And there's there's a lot to be said for them being a very, very good team. Now, what I put out is, I mean, they made eight changes and it wasn't their strongest squad and their bench was quite weak and they had a deb debutante on the wing. So it's not as though this was an unbeatable box side, especially when we named an essentially unchanged 23 from the previous week that had done so well. So there are lots of questions coming into this about what, what um, kind of consistency within sport actually is. And I want to spend some time over the next week or two seeing, I'm sure there must have been sports psychology research about this, about how um, professional sporting teams develop consistency of performance. And uh, I want to delve a bit more deeply into that. So sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have the answer of how to make the Wallabies more consistent, <laughs> but um, I'm really keen to actually dive well, into it. I mean, a little bit more and if you did have the answer of how to get that consistency and unlock that, that lock that's currently on them, I think you would be sitting in uh, in Queensland somewhere with Dave Rennie and the coaches telling them how to prepare well for the Bledisloe, not sitting here with me talking about pick and drive Trust rugby. me, mate. I've looked at two websites so far. It's telling me a lot. <laughs> so, Dave Rennie, you've got my number, mate. Uh, I, look, I, if we look at the overall game uh, on the weekend, it's easy to say that the Wallabies played really badly and that South Africa were just a lot more clinical and took the opportunities where they... Um, when they were on offer. And, and that is a, a fair assessment of the game. But one thing I think we do need to realise too, that the Wallabies, and unfortunately it is a theme of 2022 at the moment. And again, Dave Rennie won't use it as an excuse, but at some point we're going to have to start talking about it. But the injury toll that is starting to, to line up and the impact that they're having on preparation and actual gameplay week in, week out is really hurting the Wallabies at the moment. Halftime, the score is 12-3. The Springboks score right on halftime to get that um, sort of five-point lead. Up to that point, it was 7-3. So the Wallabies, for a lot of re for uh, going into that half, could be imp quite happy with the way the game had played out thus far in the first 40. They were still within touching distance of the Springboks. The Springboks had had a lot more possession. The Wallabies hadn't had a whole lot of ball. Um, they could get their hands on the ball in the second half and do a, a bit more with it than they're probably back in the game. Early on in the second half, Noel Alessio goes off with a HIA, fails that, doesn't come back. Hunter Paisami also goes off with a HIA. I think he even went off before halftime um, and through the half, yeah. didn't end up succeeding that and um, didn't come back. Then we had Taniela Tupo who tweaked his other calf, not the the hurt one that he was out with earlier in the year, but the other calf during the warm-up in the game. So we then lost him as an option on the bench. And the the two backs we had on the on the pine, uh, Andrew Kellaway and uh, Jake Gordon, were probably not the backs that we would want in that situation, just in terms of how they could impact the game and where players could play and shuffle around to sort of cover positions. We had Reese Hodge oh, yeah. playing 10 and sometimes we had... Jake Gordon sharing the wing slash number nine jersey with Nick White. Um, it was a bit of a hodgepodge second half, and I think that's where the Springboks really took that a bit op that took that chance to sort of uh, excel in that moment and score those those tries. Yeah, but I mean, look, you can't. Last week we went went in with a six two split and it worked for us. Right. This week we went in with a 6-2 split and one of them didn't even get off the bench. So as Dave Rennie said, it was a 5-2 split, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but in addition to that, I mean, you've got a utility back and a scrum half as your two backs. I mean, th those are the right types of players to be putting in there. And with Hodge on the field already, he's a utility already on the field, so he can adjust. Um, but you don't expect both your 10 and your 12 to be going down within the one game. 
Um, and I think it's also the, the current expectations around world that World Rugby are putting in place around HIA protocols and protecting players from concussion are really meaningful and really, really positive. Uh, but what that probably is resulting is that coaches are going to be going through more and more of a risk of selecting a 6-2 split because it's becoming more common for players to be pulled from a game because of a head knock that in the past they probably just would have shaken it off and kept playing and then dealt with the ramifications in the days or weeks afterwards. Yeah, and exactly. And that, that comes down to the prep um, and you're talking about in an ideal situation that it was, it did work for us the week before. And, and in this situation, you can't really plan for those things that did happen. No, unless you're going off with Hunter Paisami, two of our most influential players in that back line, not being available in that second half. So all I was, the point I was making was that it, it does show that performance in the second half while we probably fell away a little bit and weren't able to claw our way back into the game when we had people defending out of position. If you look at the two tries that the South Africa scored in that second half, the first one, Noel Alessio comes off out of the line. I think he's already quite heavily concussed at that point because he was in no man's land. He he sort of ran up and yep. was sort of between two of the defenders and they just cut him out. And then the ball got um, at Mottstert, I think it was, that scored it, um, that ran through and scored the try. And in the second, uh, the Mapimpi try later on in the half, uh, Nick White was Nick on White. was defending yeah. on the wing. Well, technically, he was actually defending in the 13 channel, but he rushed up in defense and they just cut him out and Mapimpi runs over and, and it's reliant again on the heroics of Corabetti to get across and sort of tackle him from his other wing. Uh, so if we have, if we do have our first choice players in the positions that we have, we probably are able to diffuse that a little bit better like we did last week yep. than this week. And that's just the yep. point that I was making that I, I, a lot of people are coming out of this game and saying like, geez, the Wallabies are, uh, you know, we've gone from one week of beating the world champs to the next week getting smashed by them. You know, consistency week in, week out. You just need to take into account that that second half was a really, in some ways was a massive shamble in terms of selections. And we were sort of getting through what we could and putting players on the field that we legally were allowed to put on the field um ideally you would have liked to have pulled someone like um geez maybe Tate McDermott or Bernard Foley say from the stands and put them in a tracksuit once Nella goes down so you've got an extra back as an option but you can't do that in world rugby yeah, rules well, okay that's fine <laughs> I don't think anybody is claiming we should have brought Curtly Beal from eating a pie out onto the field but Foley um, but Foley Foley maybe, Foley maybe. Um, yeah, the interesting thing I think to point out as well within that is Kanan Moody's um, excellent take uh, when he kind of jumped up, got the high ball and then ran through for the try. That only happens because Corin Betty's half injured and walking on one leg and can't jump. So he literally doesn't jump for that when he has jumped for every other take throughout the match last week and took, I don't think he dropped a single ball last week in the air. Um, so you're right, those, those tries that they scored yeah, okay, they were well taken. And a big congrats to Kane and Moody for his um, yeah. trial and debut. Like, that's fantastic. But those don't happen if, you're right, if the Wallabies aren't rocked by these injuries and are forced to play players out of position. Um, so, yeah, really good point. So let's take a quick look and consider some of the players that actually kind of stood out or played well in your mind. Um, we obviously have Moody on debut, who was fantastic. I thought Sia Khaleesi was immense. He is fast becoming one of my favourite players in World Rugby. Seeing him and the way that he spoke within a post-match presser, I'm, I think he's one of my new man crushes now. I think that's, <laughs> that might need to be official. Uh, World sure Rugby official, man crush, we'll, we'll say. He doesn't qualify for yeah. the Wallabies. International. Yeah, how many Giddo laws? How many Giddo law selections do I have for the Mancrushes? Uh, we'll go with the Australian rules. You've got three. So, see Khaleesi's in there mm. now. We've got mm. the rest of the year 
2022, yep. you have to have this list solidified by the kickoff of the World Cup next year. That's okay, your, that's I, I'm task. confident that I can do that. Um, I don't think it's going to be Antoine Dupont because you've got that absolute toss pot on Twitter who is making me hate Antoine <laughs> Let's Dupont. not call him out. Let's um, not did, call oh, him out. Don't give him no. the airtime. He doesn't deserve did you, it. Yep, true. Did you see um, Did you see actual Dupont's oh. uh, kick pass? Oh, that was next level. For those of you who haven't seen it, um, it's a little clip that's going around. The ball comes off the back of a line-out, the top of a line-out, and it's thrown down to him, but it doesn't actually get to him. Like, it, it bounces on the ground. And he lun he reaches out, lunges out with a leg and kick passes it towards the 10. Like, perfect, perfect distribution just with his foot rather than with his... He's, he's next level. He can do anything now, man. Um, so, players that impressed on your end. Um, you've already said Kalen Moody, so uh, I'll just give him a good shout and thought that he played really well as well. Uh, Mapimpi was definitely up for it this weekend. Uh, like it or not... <laughs> he was fired up. He was up, fired hey. up. Like was it or not, uh, I don't necessarily think it was one of his best games in terms of... Uh, sort of what he did with the ball. I mean, he scored that great try and he definitely learned this week that go low when you've got Corabetti coming across and cover defense. Don't jump into the tackle. He's definitely taken that learning on board and he scored it this week, whereas last week he didn't. Uh, but he was involved in yep. everything. Every time there was yep. a bit of a scuffle, he's in there throwing handbags and uh, giving it to Nick White <laughs> every lift, which way he can. There were some pretty entertaining snippets caught on... Um, on the coverage, if you go back and watch of him, like you yeah. shut up, just shut up, <laughs> just giving it to the other team. So yeah, um, outside of that, uh, I'll, I'll stick with what you've really said as well. Yeah, I thought for the Aussies, um, there wasn't really anybody that had, I think, an excellent game. I think Rob Valentini was probably our best player in the park. Uh, unfortunately, no australian the frustrating thing with the wallabies was that no one no one actually played badly like no one is if we were to give scores and we don't really do that on this podcast but if we were to give scores i don't think we're handing out twos and threes i think we're probably handing out fives and sixes and yeah yeah four to sixes across the board Mm -hmm. though like last week we're probably handing out sevens eights nines um across with a few players that are standing out and and playing really well. Noel Alessio probably up there in the higher numbers. But this week, no one really stood out and no one uh, was ahead of anyone else and consistently everyone was just a little bit average. Yep, yep, agreed. And um, look, I thought that Tom Wright, people uh, probably some ways justly criticising him for trying to make stuff happen at the tail end of the game with a few runs out from the 22 and trying to spark something from there. There's part of me that uh, understands that perspective of critiquing him about that. But I also thought he was trying to create something in a situation where we were really struggling to break the Bucky defensive line. And so I kind of don't mind at that point a few Hail Marys to try and get us over the line. Yeah, I mean, you you got it. At, at that point in the game, we didn't have any big impact back that we could bring on and we needed someone to sort of step up and do that. Corabetti, as we already mentioned, wasn't 100% fit. He looked like he was injured with some, I don't even know what the actual injury is, bit of a hammy twinge or something in that second half. So he did what he needed to do, but he wasn't having the impact that we saw last week. And so Tom Wright was kind of that player that was putting his hand up to have a crack. Unfortunately, it didn't come off this week. Yep. So we've already spoken about a couple of the big moments, uh, the handbags at 10 paces as well that happened right near the end of the game. I was hearing some people chatting about how that was the most entertaining part <laughs> of the match, which I think says a lot for the stop-start nature of the game. Uh, just a quick little comment on that. 
For those of you little fanboys and girls who are looking at the photo of Ibn Atzabeth getting angry at Alan Alatoa and claiming that Alatoa is scared, need to go back and watch the footage <laughs> and see Alatoa going, come on, boy, come on, boy, and just yelling at him, ready to ready Well, to he had, his, he had his fist cocked and ready to go, didn't he? his fist cocked and ready to go. Yeah, so. exactly. And so I just, yeah, all these like South African fanboys are just going, oh, my God. Gosh, even Elizabeth is such a monster. And I'm like, bro, come on. Like, I'm not saying Alan is going to destroy him, but don't claim he's striking fear into the enemy or anything like that. Like, the, Alan was ready to go. It's, um, yeah, that happened right in front of me. And I've pro partially lost my voice from that moment of the game alone when I'm just standing there watching Elizabeth go absolutely ape on Al Alatoa and just screaming, saying, look, got to, there's got to be something in that. And the fact that they went through the the whole scuffle seven, eight, nine, fifteen, twenty-five times, looked at the way that Etzebeth just threw Alatoa around, fists in face, still couldn't find a reason to penalize him for it. I can't understand. Um, but yeah, a lot of in a lot of ways that was probably the most exciting part of the game. And <laughs> a little part of me kind of would have liked to have seen who would have come out best had they just thrown down and, yep. and what the reaction would have been. Probably yep. two red cards to both captains, but it would have been quite interesting. Yeah, it would have been quite funny. There's this part of me that would have liked it just for the entertainment value. Um, not because I want to see them get hurt or not because I condone punching somebody in the face when you're angry with them. Um, but yeah, it was just funny. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, okay, cool. So with that moment of deep tactical analysis out of the way, uh, I think that we really need to kind of move the conversation on to what our predictions are for next week. Um, well, we've got a week off until the first Bledisloe match. It's going to be played on Thursday night at um, Marble Park down Marble in Stadium, yeah Marble Stadium down, yeah. down in Melbourne. Yeah, in Melbourne. So. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about the All Blacks in a moment and their massive resurgence uh, this weekend or last weekend. But for, for you, mate, what's your what's your prediction for this game? Do you think the Wallabies are going to bounce back? If Are they consistently inconsistent or inconsistently consistent? Jeez, it's, a, it's a tough one to sit here now so, <laughs> so many days out and say how we're going to go, considering the Wallabies' track record this year that we potentially have another two or three injuries to sustain between now and when the team's named. I mean, if we already go through the from this week, the injuries that we did pick up, Taniela Tupo's got some form of calf injury. We don't know yep. the extent of it, but I would say it's, if it's enough to rule him out of playing from the warm-up, um, it's probably enough to rule him out this week or this next week coming. So I, I don't think we'll see Tupo. Uh, Noel Alessio suffered a concussion. In the post-match press conference, Dave Rennie did mention that he was still having headaches post-game, so that's not a good sign. World Rugby with the concussion proto updated concussion protocols now have a 12-day turnaround um, from once you stop having uh, symptoms. The game's in 11 days, so it's going to be really touch and go whether Noah Alessio is fit and is able to be picked for that test match. Mm -hmm. If he isn't, what do we do then? That really opens that door of oh, I love do we bring this. in uh, Beal? or Foley as that first choice 10, or do we bring one of those players onto the bench and shift Reese Hodge to fly half? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I personally would love to see Foley at 10 just because it would just be entertaining. I would love the stories. I'd love the narrative and I'd love it if we won as well. Can you imagine that if we won with Foley at 10? <laughs> um, I, I would just really, really enjoy that just from a spectator's point of view. Uh, I think in terms of continuity moving forward, it might actually be best to have Reese Hodge at 10. Um, because he's been a part of the squad. He knows the moves. He knows the plans. He's played there semi-recently um, in that position. Oh, he played there and this week. And he's got Callaway that can be... <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and, he, and he can put Callaway in at 15 uh, without any massive change as well and, George, and bring like Jordi Pataya onto the bench or something like that. Um, so actually, no, you'd need to have Beal probably because he can slot in at 10 um, if required. So yeah, it's, it's a challenging one for me, Foley. So you'd start Foley. Yeah, just for fun. Just for fun. I don't know if uh, going into the Bledisloe Cup is something that we do just for fun. Maybe we play Argentina next or Japan, we can start playing around with fun selections. But this is the biggest... Mate, mate, the Bledisloe means nothing to me. We haven't won it since I can remember. Oh, don't be like that. The All Blacks are wounded. This is the year. Don't you read Jamie Pandaran? (laughs) And so so a wounded team that wins 53-3. to We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's not jump ahead of the run. All right. What's your, what's your um, pick then? What I would what's be doing, pick? I think what you said around Reese Hodge is probably what Rennie will do. I think he'll shift uh, Hodge into 10, considering he has been there. We have had relatively su- relative success with Hodge at 10 over the last uh, few times that we've started him there. Uh, and then I would be probably, we would then, I mean, it comes down to match fitness too, but Andrew Kellaway at 15, I don't know. He's also been coming off the bench because he's being eased back into Test Rugby. But I think at the moment we need to um, pick him. We need him fit to be able to, to start at 15. And then I'd bring Beal onto the bench. I would also not be surprised if he does bring Foley and start Foley as well, like you suggested, Ando, purely because he needs someone to take control of the back line. And if we've got, uh, I mean, Hunter Paisami as well. Did he come back? From his HIA, did he pass no. his HIA this week? No. So no, he's he also another player that no, potentially no, no. we don't have available for that test. If both of those players fail, correct? Uh, you know, we're then looking at an inexperienced centre combination with an inexperienced fly half. No, uh, no built-on cohe- cohesive partnership there that we could really call on. Um, look, we we'll get an indication of this. Tomorrow, as the podcast comes out, Tuesday, Dave Rennie is planning to release his squad for the All Black series on Tuesday at some point. Um, so we will have more of an idea then with the players that he has picked in, in the squad. Uh, but yeah, at the moment, geez, I've, I've talked my way into about three different combinations there and I could probably <laughs> go right. with either any of them. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's why we don't get paid the big bucks and other people do. So there's so many different permutations that come through there. Uh, personally, I think the 12 conversation is going to be really interesting as well. So um, let's let's consider that again once that mm. squad for the next couple of games is released tomorrow. But look, w- w- we need to talk about it. I don't, I don't want to. Oh, you know what? Let's pause. I was going to jump into New Zealand-Argentina game, but let's actually just talk about our experience at Allianz Stadium. Because you had the experience as a yep. punter down in the stands. And I was lucky enough to be up with the media and getting some free um, food and drinks and stuff like that. And one of the things there. I want to say before getting we go any further, I just want to give a massive shout out to all of our fans <laughs> and just say a massive thank you for all the support everyone has done by listening to us two rugby fans talk 100%. about rugby yep. and our thoughts on the game in Australia. Um, we've 
created this thing and we've got it rolling, the ball rolling to a point where we've been able to approach RA and say, yeah, we're journalists, give us a media pass. And they've said, yeah, sure, why not? And given it to us. And so in some ways we feel a bit like posers sitting up there in the media box, but in other ways we're like, no, screw it. We're, um, we're representing the people and we want to be here. We're going to ask the hard questions. We're the people's podcast. We are, we're the people's, the people's podcast. podcast. So I just <laughs> wanted to say thank you to everyone for the support, mm. for um, listening to us and to, to listen continuing to tune in week in, week out and growing the numbers and telling your mates about it and getting involved on on all the social media platforms. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have the opportunity to do that. So both Ando and I are very appreciative for the opportunities that we have been given through the podcast. Yeah, 100%. And the great thing is that we're able to build connections both with RA, with other journos across their platforms. Like it's it's wonderful. So thank you for all your help and support within that. It's been really, really great. And um, so on that note, mate, I loved it being up top. I was able to get some great footage of the um, fireworks. Show that was cool. Before yeah. the game. Yeah, oh, mate, that was that was awesome. Next level. Um, and had a really great view of match itself and got some good insights from people and the like. But how was it down in the stands on in your yeah experience. no it's really great like state-of-the-art facilities brand new stadium like they didn't just upgrade the sfs they knocked it down and rebuilt it so from what i've heard i was on ground level on uh behind the goalposts and where i was sitting it was really really close and i f- i could see the players like that when that fight broke out i felt like i was about to cop an elbow or a punch from one of the south african players i felt like i was that close uh, but from what I've heard, that that anywhere you sit in sit in the house, you can you've really got a good view and you feel like you're close and intimate. The the sound, the way they've created the stadium and the sound reverberates around it. Once the crowd gets going, it's really really impactful and you can feel it. And de- definitely the players can feel it too. So I'm really looking forward to getting back there next year with the Waratahs fans and and getting loud and getting into it to sort of cheer on the the Tars and and see what sort of support we can muster for them. But um. Yeah, I mean, the the facilities, great. Getting in and out was a breeze. Like, there was an, no so lines. Easy. I mean, so we easy. left well yeah. after the press conference finished, so we didn't have to contend with lines. But getting in there at the beginning of the game was was a breeze. We were in there early. Mm-hmm. Um, getting out was fine. The The food was a bit pricey, but I guess that's to be expected in Sydney. Um, the food and drinks. But the offerings were good. It, it's a great place to watch rugby. They've got plenty of facilities yep. for you as well to stand on the concourse as well if you don't want to sit in your yeah, fan, the concourse, in your seats. That was like one of my favorite bits. Hey, the concourse is awesome. So basically at, after the first kind of like row or tier of seating, they've got this flat level concourse that goes all the way around the whole stadium where you can be sitting there having a beer, chatting with mates, standing there having a beer, chatting with mates or eating some food and just be have full unobstructed view of the field whilst you're standing there. Um, so even whilst you're lining up and getting food, you're still able to see the game. It's not as though you're disconnected from what's going on, which I thought was a really cool architectural feature. They the do have side. one um, area that they probably will improve on in the, in the next few weeks was the signage around which bays you're actually sitting in wasn't yeah, too yeah. obvious and there was a lot of, um, once the game kicked off and the crowd started to fill in and people were taking their seats, there was a lot of confusion and people sort of in the wrong bay and not knowing which bay they were in. And from what I've read on Twitter as well, that was happening all around the stadium. So uh, next time there is a rugby game being played there, hopefully by that point we will, they will have sorted that out. But that's probably the only thing I could say that was a little bit uh, disappointing. Yeah, fair. 
Well, you know what? That's that's pretty good. If that's the worst thing we have to say about some signage that was lacking, then things are going pretty well there. Um, so let's move on to the New Zealand-Argentina game, which was an absolute shellacking, a 53-3 to defeat by the All Blacks against Los Pumas. And the, the great news of the week before, the first ever Argentinian win on New Zealand soil, the first three peat, the third, first three losses in a row for New Zealand at home in over 100 years was turned around with, with venom, I might say, with venom. And so watching this game, mate, what was your key takeaway after the match? Oh, it just really felt like Argentina weren't up for it and New Zealand really was. Like you yeah. could tell from the haka yeah. that New Zealand were angry and the game started, it was raining, it was wet. Uh, New Zealand, I mean, Argentina pretty much dropped the ball off kickoff and New Zealand then got their hands on the pill and kept it for 10, 15 minutes and just kept applying pressure. It wasn't the Argentinian side that we saw last week. Uh, I think for a lot of a lot of ways last week in the game that Argentina was surprised themselves that they were still in it so late and then they started to get this idea of, hey, we can actually win this. And then the, the belief began. You could see that the performances across mm. the board lifted to another level and that's what sort of saw them through. This week, and it, it's, a, it's a hard task to go to New Zealand and play the All Blacks two weeks in a row and get up for it week in, week out when you're a team like Argentina. I mean, the Wallabies haven't done it, so... Uh, but... Yep. Just this week, it, it really looked like Argentina was a team of individual players playing their own game, whereas last week it felt like a cohesive unit who were all playing the same game with the same game plan and knowing what to do at the right times. I give Thomas Lavanini a whole bunch of rubbish um, just when I watch him because he's such a thug and he's such a yellow card magnet <laughs> as well. Um, last, but uh, I think last week in the pod, I commented that he actually had a really good yeah. game and I kept waiting for him to do something dumb, but he never did. Uh, whereas this week, he was the source of all that was dumb for Argentina within the first like 20 or 30 There was a the point game. made in commentary that I think last week, it had been two or three games in a row that he hadn't got a yellow card. And that was like the most for Argentina in a number of years that he had strung those many <laughs> test matches together without getting a yellow card. And then he cops one in this game in the first like 15 minutes. Uh, he was he was bad. He was just bad. Um, but you're right. I think there was this level of intensity. And look, I, I don't want to be a type of person that makes judgment weak uh, that, that changes his opinion or flips it around off the um, weekly results, right? you you got to see trends or continuity over time to be able to make an opinion about teams and coaches and players and the like. Um, I would just worry if we see this up and down from Argentina, that it might be a similar way in which um, Checker had that strong motivational capacity within key matches but his the the team at least the wallabies when he was coaching them weren't able to string the matches together now i don't know if this is then pointing to a um a long-term issue of consistency with the wallabies um or if it was his coaching style i don't know but it was just interesting to note the massive difference in energy enthusiasm and performance between last week and this week so how we've spoken about argentina but I guess a lot of that needs to be put down to the quality of this All Black side. Yeah, but I guess on that point, I'll elaborate on it before we move off it. It's not a trend this year that's only being shown by Argentina. All teams in the Rugby Championship this year have put in a great performance and then lost the week after. Even New Zealand did it in South Africa. They played the... Uh, well, South Africa won the first test. New Zealand came back and won the second test. Um, they then got beaten last week by Argentina. 
or the next week by Argentina and then they won this week. So it's been up and down for all teams within the rugby championship this year. This is the first time the rugby championship has been played with this mini tour format of going to one nation and playing two tests there. In the past, it used to be either, it used to be home and away and it wasn't from memory. It wasn't uh, structured in a way that you would play New Zealand twice in, a, in, a, in one go. You'd either play South Africa and then New Zealand the next week and then you'd play Argentina. Then you replay South Africa um, and then you'd replay Argentina. Like it was a little bit all over the place. And this is the first time we've actually had the games together in the one nation. A lot of things, lots of positives to say around that in terms of the narratives that are built between the games. And we saw that through the Wallabies in South Africa, through the Corabetti Mapimpi sort of rivalry that established itself. Uh, we saw that through Argentina beating New Zealand last week and then this week uh, New Zealand getting the revenge in such an emphatic way. But at the same time, I think it also goes to show that it is quite difficult to go to an international, in another country as an international team and, and win two weeks in a row. And, and all teams in the rugby championship are having that inconsistency. Yep, fair enough, which is why it's so tight Yeah. Um, within the standings. I mean, you've got 10-9-9-9 as the points totals for New Zealand, Australia, South Africa and Argentina. So that's just incredible. I thought Rico Iwani had probably one of his best games in black that he has yeah. ever had, particularly as a centre. His, he, something something was different he made like a deal with some spirit, like supernatural power his ability to step and just burst with absolute speed that i just hadn't seen from him in a while it's like he he was angry and he channeled all that anger into his legs yeah it just it it just seemed like the opposition as well were like mm, we're not going to attack you this week we did it last week and it was hard yeah. enough and two weeks in a row is a big ask so you can just come on through <laughs> in some ways they yep, just yep, fell just, off just have a, have a stroll yeah, that was it. Was really odd. The accuracy that they demonstrated in the previous matches just was not. Well, I mean, there. and and so one thing to say that... about Argentina as well was like the scoreline doesn't flatter them, but it was only in the 60th minute that New Zealand really started to kind of sense the the blood in the water and took it to the next level. Mm. At that point, mm. uh, I actually don't have it written down here, but I think from memory, in the 60th minute, it was 20, 23, 24, 25 points to three. And so within the last 20 minutes, New Zealand scored 20, 25 to 30 points. And so it was from that moment that the rubber band broke. And that's something that we have come to expect from New Zealand over the last few years, that they get to that moment where the opposition's hanging on and hanging on and hanging on, and then they fall away and New Zealand just run in five or six tries. And we haven't seen that under Foster yet. So in some ways, it's really, I guess, New Zealand fans would be excited to see that the All Blacks are getting back to that uh, mentality of being able to do that and being clinical at the end of games and seeing things through. Um, but again, you don't want to get too ahead of yourself because it's it's one result when last week they did lose and Argentina weren't putting up a good uh, defensive effort in that last 20. They were falling off a lot of tackles and making a lot of simple errors. Yep. I mean, you look at the stats, Argentina have been forced to make 203 tackles within that match in wet and tiring conditions. Um, seven tries to nil, six conversions, two penalties. You look at the scrum success, so nine out of 10 scrums won for 90%, 14 out of 14 for 100% lineouts, um, and a penalty count was basically even. So New Zealand were just so much more accurate than they had been previously, and I think it's a return to New Zealand that we expect, and we'll just see if they turn up next week. Um, I know it's really simple, 
but we'll see if they're able to maintain that level of consistency and accuracy. I really hope they don't. I thought one of the funniest posts that um, uh, was shared in our group chat recently was um, from somebody replying to the news that Artie Sevilla was going to be staying home for the birth of his son uh, for the tour. And then somebody has replied to the post saying, uh, can't Sam Kane stay home to prepare for the birth of Artie's child instead? <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was just absolutely brutal. <laughs> but very, very funny at the same time. <laughs> do we want to do a bit of a preview uh, okay. looking forward and, and to see what we can expect from New Zealand come this Bledisloe series? No, I think we wait until we get more of a understanding of the squad. So New Zealand squad is out, but let's, let's wait for the Aussie yeah. one and then maybe we talk about that next week because there's no games Um international games. I guess as a Wallabies fan, the one thing I will say to wrap up is I hope that New Zealand continue this form of winning and losing and winning and losing and winning and losing. I mean, if it if it does, if they do keep that consistency, we'll win next week in, in Melbourne and then lose the following week at Eden Park. So in some ways, I I would not like that to happen. It would be great to see. I'd rather it the other way around. Lose in Melbourne, win in well, Eden that, Park. But that's what I'm saying. Break if the they voodoo. keep this consistency yep. of inconsistency... Then the record state says that they will win, they will lose next week, and win the following week, uh, and that would be a rugby championship complete of win lose win lose win lose. Uh, but you know who knows? Uh, at the moment, as we've said before, we there is a little bit of selection issues for the Wallabies to work on. New Zealand, as we have mm. come to expect in the last few years, well, last twenty years, they can get up for a Bledisloe particularly this year is the first year that we have only two tests in the Bledisloe. We don't have three. The Wallabies don't have the luxury this year of losing one game and still being able to make it up to, to take the series. The Wallabies need to win both mm. to retain to get their hands back on the Bledisloe, whereas New Zealand realistically only have to win one to keep the trophy. Uh, it's a big ask. Yep. And as, as I said, New Zealand do get up for the Bledisloe, um, but there's a lot of pressure on them too. And if they, they can't, can't get up and and New Zealand and Australia can beat them next week in Australia there will be a lot of internal criticism put on them which would open that door slightly for Australia to go to Eden Park and potentially uh, break the hoodoo and cause an upset yep yep well my friend there's so much exciting rugby ahead of us why don't we move on to the locker room to talk through what the fans have sent through let's to us. go All right, time to answer your questions now or your comments in the locker room. The first one comes to us from Carlos on Facebook, and he says, if they didn't hold back, who do we have our money on, Etzebeth or Ala Alatoa? Oh, for me, mate, I'd go Alan if he can get him onto the ground, you know? So if it stands (laughs) up, if they're at distance and range is a thing, then Etzebeth obviously has the reach advantage. But if Alatoa can take him down, then, mate, you're not getting him off you. So I'd be going Alatoa there. Although... I did hear that Etzebeth has family background in like pro wrestling or semi-pro wrestling. So look, maybe it's a bit tighter than I think. Jeez, I, I wouldn't be taking on Etzebeth even if I was Al Alatoa. But you know, I would I would pay to see it. I would pay to see I, it. I I'll genuinely would pay to see yeah. that. I hate I hate fighting like as in Yeah, like, we don't condone it on the rugby field and we don't want it in that <laughs> setting. But if they want to take it to a boxing match, ring. A professional boxing like MMA or something like that, I'd I'd probably go. Yeah, well, that'd be interesting. Uh, Ed Morton, also on Facebook, says, sometimes it's really hard to be a Wallaby supporter, and I feel that pain. I definitely do. Um, I guess the only thing I would say to that point, and we did make it earlier, and I'll probably elaborate on a little bit, but 
we do need to take some of these losses into context and just look at the the injury list that we have. It, it is, we don't, Dave Rennie doesn't want to use it as an excuse. A lot of people don't want to use it as an excuse, but realistically, we have six, seven of our best players not being available for the Wallabies at the moment. And we're doing well to get by without them. But realistically, if we had Michael Hooper back, we had Samu Karevi, we had Quade Cooper, we had Taniela Tupo, we're probably putting in better performances and getting that consistency that Dave Rennie wants and that we so uh, crave as fans. So hang in there, Wallabies fans. I think if we can ride through these injuries at the moment, we'll get there and um, we can get back to that winning way. Uh, on Twitter, Wombat says, question, why can't this Wallabies team play with consistency, all injuries aside? So you can't use my excuse of injuries, Ando. Why do we not have consistency? Because <laughs> um, I still think that our players don't play enough games of rugby throughout the course of the year. Um, we don't have a broad enough level of experience at a high enough level within our provincial competition to enable players to be used to those big moments of performing at a consistent level at a high level. And so you've got players in say top 14 or the premiership that are playing 26 ish matches a season plus European games. Um, so I'm not saying we, I want players to play that much and get worked out worn out, but there does come consistency and experience from those. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, that we're missing. Yep, definitely. And, um, it does raise that question of that third tier and just having something to bridge the gap between club rugby and super rugby. And even if it works for the next generation to have something domestic so that those players can have a, a taste of success, like you're saying, Ando, they can know what it's like to play in semifinals and, and grand finals. Uh, when we look at super rugby's record over the last five, 10 years, it's a handful of uh, Australian teams that have made the semis or the final. And even more, we can count on our, on, on two or three fingers how many times the team's actually succeeded there. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really big point. And it's something that I think RA is looking at and trying to figure out how they do that in the best way. But yep. everyone knows it's what we need. Um, yep. Jock Cudmore also on Twitter says, and this is more of a comment, I've had time to reflect and soul search. I think the inconsistency is attitude. How badly do we want to win? It's a mentality. You can have a competitive squad, but when you reflect year on year in various comps, the same teams populate the bottom as they aren't used to winning. Pretty similar to what we were just saying, actually, around that that whole thought. Any comments on that, Ando? No, I'm good. I like cool. your comment, Jock. Thanks for sending it in. Um, another one on Twitter, and I apologize if I get your name wrong. But Zainal Ranan. Lovely. Yep. Good pronunciation, Ando. Well done. Um, remember all the talk after getting thrashed by Argentina? I guess it only lasts a week. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's why I think it's important that we um, don't, like I've mentioned before, you don't get carried away by week-to-week -week results and you try and look at, say, longer-term trends or, yeah, longer-term trends, uh, and you make that the basis of your opinions. Uh, as Morg, Morg's Tiranui loves to say, you've got to have a body of work on players to be able to judge them ready for international level. Well, you need to have a body of work for international teams, coaches, et cetera, to see where the team is trending. Definitely. Uh, next comment from Paddy on Twitter. Surely Captain Hooper can come back for the Bledisloe, question mark. Yes, mental illness is serious, but a great performance and lifting the cup would help. Another question mark. What are your thoughts, yeah. Andrew? Look, that one's, that one's challenging because we just don't know what his situation is. And justifiably, we don't need to know. Um, it's his own right to that. Uh, I think that from my understanding, he's 
aiming for the end of year tour as his return yeah. back into the Wallabies fold. He has been training at points with the Wallabies. Um, he's been, I've seen him in gym sessions and the like with, with the squad. Uh, so that is, yeah, something to be considering. But I don't think we're going to see him back for the Bledisloe. And uh, it will probably be the end of year tour. And good on him. Get the breath, get the rest, and spend time at home with his wife and young child. I guess there's one thing that's been going around on uh, Twitter and social media these last few weeks as well is uh, New Zealand is in a little bit of a rut at the moment. Yes, this week was a good performance against Argentina, but some people are saying that New Zealand is there for the taking. The Bledisloe is theirs to retain or to take back this year. Uh, in some ways, Hooper not being involved, should the Wallabies get it done, get their hands back on the Bledisloe, does that help Michael Hooper's headspace or not? Oh, God, who knows? <laughs> Let's, I don't know, man. I want the Bledisloe back like any raw-blooded Australian male. Um, but there's a part of me that doesn't if Hooper's not involved with it, with the amount of pain, sweat, and blood that he's uh, experienced for Australian rugby over the last decade. If he's not a part of that, then yeah, that'd be that'd be brutal. Yeah, that would be tough. Um, last question from Abel Willing, New Zealand. Just heard, uh, just heard Artie's out for the first blood slow due to him and his wife expecting a new arrival. Does this increase the Wallabies' chance by about twenty percent? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. No, uh, <laughs> like realistically, I don't know if it does. Uh, well, I, realistically, I who can't. Are you putting at six, Scott Barrett. I don't know. I'm not New Zealand's coach. Um, but I'm just saying it. that you can't, you can never bet against New Zealand. That's something we've come to know in uh, in the last few years of of sports podcasting that New Zealand always gets up for the big matches and they play mm. when it counts. And the Bledisloe is the biggest match in their minds for a lot of reasons. So uh, I, I think they can cover the whole of Artie Sevilla not being there. And I don't think it really gives the Wallabies an advantage, him not being there too much. I've got yeah, one final uh, question for you, Ando, before we move okay. out of the locker room. Uh, yep. Something that's been talked about, and it's probably more of a theme uh, that South Africa has been implementing in the last few, well, this year particularly, uh, more so than a lot of like New Zealand or Australia. But uh, a lot of people are saying that South Africa is preparing themselves to win a World Cup next year. So they're looking at the four-year cycle and their, their selections are around player rotation and um, getting experience into the players' boots and getting the, the players that they want and ready for the World Cup to be competitive. Now, if you were a coach, and this is my question, if you were Dave Rennie or Ian Foster right now, would you be focusing on the four-year cycle, on the World Cup, winning the World Cup as the biggest and sort of the, the biggest and utmost goal for you? Or do you focus on winning every single test match that you come up against as the uh, ultimate decider of your focus for me is winning every single test match because a winning team wins world cups um is is a simple way of considering it so you basically look at almost all the teams that have won the world cup over recent years and they've been dominant in the 18 months leading up to that world cup and so at the moment, South Africa have the luxury because of the experience of the squad, world champion squad, um, and the depth within South African rugby as a whole, that they have the capacity to rest some of this like starting 23 players and bring in people who maybe aren't world-class, but are definitely part of that international squad um, and at, at that level. So they have a luxury that we as the Australian, Australian national team, I say we, but you know what I mean, yeah. um, we just simply don't have. 
We've had so many injuries. We've had so many play- players unavailable that, I mean, the last two weeks have been the first time we've got our first choice 23 onto the pitch. And even then that's missing Cooper and um, Karevi. Samu Karevi as like two of those key elements. So it's it's really challenging. Yeah, it is really challenging. And um, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see which format does win. I think next year's World Cup is going to be the most competitive World Cup we've ever had. And as we've said multiple times in the last few weeks, it currently really does feel like anyone in probably the top eight or nine nations. And I have to say down to eight because Australia is currently ranked seventh. But anyone on their day can beat anyone. And when you take a World Cup into consideration and you're looking at neutral territory and you're looking at um, the ways that the game's refereed in World Cups as opposed to in in average test matches, uh, I think we're up for a really competitive tournament and it'll be really interesting to see which way it goes. Yep, agreed. Um, Just as a quick point, I just read this absolutely awesome thing on a spoof rugby website. Um, so you know how Lukanya Ams got a, a, a damaged um, a knee. knee and he's had to have yeah. surgery? Um, so since then, photos have emerged of Am in hospital post-surgery. Reports have also emerged that Nina Bayer was planning on picking Am this Saturday against Australia, saying, quote, Lukanya Am on one leg is better than most of the Wallabies' back line. <laughs> <laughs> now, now these reports have come from very unreliable sources and are believed to be 100% untrue. But most of the world would not be against would not bet against a 28-year-old being a pretty handy player with only one functioning knee. There's a lot to be said for that. There is a lot to be said. And I love those types of articles. Very well written. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great. Well, well, mate, I think that's a good uh, moment to finish on. So mate, it's been fun. It has been fun. Thanks, everyone, for getting to this point of the podcast. Um, we do have some extra content to come later this week. And if you are listening to us and you are interested, we did have the press conferences from the Bledisloe. Oh, sorry, not Bledisloe. I've got New Zealand on my mind, but Australia versus South Africa last weekend is up on our feed as well. So go back an episode and you will see the Bledisloe, uh, I said it again, uh, the press conferences from the Wallabies and the Springboks. So do check those out. And later in the week, we do have some interviews coming with uh, Scott CEO and Reese Hodge as well. So do keep an eye on the feed. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Been a pleasure. Catch everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.